Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. I consider that our past I'm sorry, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This is God's word for us today. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Um, we are headed towards wrapping up um, this series that we've been in um, pretty much since the beginning of the year uh, where we're talking about what does the Christian faith have to do, um, where does it intersect with the, the conversations and the experience that we have around suffering and pain and where it seems like God is absent. Um, and one of the things that uh, came to my mind as I was working on this is that it's not really just the Christian faith that has struggled with this. It's like all of people for all of humanity. Um, this is a, a major question is how do, we, how do we make space for these things and where do they fit? Um, one uh, story that gets told, um, it's, I mean, maybe 3,000 years old or, or so, is from Greek mythology. I've always kind of liked Greek mythology, that was like the comic books of their day. These were like the, the superheroes of their day that kind of, um, they took the stories that people deal with, the things that we deal with on a regular basis and kind of put them in these larger than life characters. And one way of, of addressing this is uh, the character of Sisyphus, um, who seems to pop up every now and then in culture. Um, you know, every couple of hundred years, he seems to come back to prominence, where he's the, the king of Corinth, and he ends up um, escaping death a few times. He ends up tricking death, and that doesn't make the, the gods very happy. Um, and they end up uh, giving him what he wants in a way. Um, he gets to live for forever, um, and his job for forever is to push this boulder up a hill for forever until he almost gets to the top and then it rolls back to the bottom and he has to go try again. He's overseen by Persephone, who's the wife of Hades. Um, and, and so over and over and over again, he pushes this boulder up the hill and it rolls back down and he never even gets to die. Welcome to Sunday morning. Isn't this great, you know? And, um, and like, what does that have to do with it? Why is he this reoccurring figure um, in... In human history, in the middle of World War II, uh, a philosophy book by, uh, by Camus was, was published. It was kind of a big deal. Um, and, it, you know, there was this sense of, like, before World War I, like, humanity's making progress. Humanity, oh, we're actually really terrible as people. Oh, maybe we're making progress again. Um, no, World War II happens. Maybe, I don't think we're getting anywhere. Uh, and, and then there's, that's like on a global scale, but then there's the individual life kind of thing. Like, are we making progress? I know I've 
shared this story before, but I only have so many stories, so work with me here. Um, when I was like 14, I got my first job at seasonal worker at Toys R Us. Um, it was awful. It was during Christmas, you know, like, and uh, closest to hell I've ever been. And and I was on the I was on the maintenance crew, and. Um, like sitcom level, like if there had been a security camera footage, I had these four cones, and I would mop in that area, and then I would leapfrog those two cones and mop the new square. And I had just moved my square, and this mom and kid came up behind me where I had just mopped, and the kid just leaned over and puked all over the floor, and the mom just picked the kid up and headed straight out the door, and I moved my cones back. Is that what we're doing around here? You know, and um, lots of hard work only to see it crumble and back. Are we going anywhere? Um, is progress real? And one way to look at things, like, um, like Camus said um, when he took Sisyphus as an example, is to say, no, no, we're not going anywhere. Life is absurd. Um, we live in, in an absurd contradiction of we need meaning in life, and there isn't any. There just isn't any. And so um, how he concludes his book is that we must imagine Sisyphus happy. He must be able to find a space where he just, he just accepts that, that this is life, you know? Like, um, we work hard, and then life's hell, and that's just kind of it, so smile, you know? And, um, and that's, that's one way to approach things, I guess. Um, and if we are locked into a closed system, um, that's accurate. That's probably the best we could hope for. Uh, I'm just so glad that we have something different to offer the honest question of is progress real Um, or are we just stuck in a cycle of pain and uh, and how do we do this and today I want to look at um, maybe a a Christian response to the same question and uh, from one of the most loved passages in scripture um, I'm just going to work my way through the last half of Romans chapter 8 and here's um, what I would recommend, if, if you don't have a regular um, time to spend in the Bible, maybe you're still using the Lectio 365 app. It's been so good this week um, from our 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Keep using that. Um, but if you're looking for something, um, spend the whole week or two in Romans chapter 8. Just like let it, let it work on you. It's beautiful. And Paul is one of the first Christians. He's writing to one of the first churches, and they're struggling. Um, they're trying to figure out how things are going to go. And they're in a society where as a Christian, um, it is, you're moving from um, we ignore that you exist to you are a major problem, back to we ignore that you exist, back to you are a major problem. And this is the life that they're living in. And uh, they're in the capital city. They, they, are, they are just a few miles, probably, away from where Caesar lives, the guy that's ruling the known world. And, and that guy seems to be stuck in this cycle of, of work and pain and work and pain. And then you have this little group of Christians that are trying to live differently. And Paul, Paul writes to them around this subject in like verse 16. He says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I want to use verse 17 and kind of break it down in chunks and talk about what that might mean for us a little bit. Like he says, if we are children, then we are heirs. 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I, I imagine many Christians, they are on board, at least with the language of, I am a child of God. I am one of God's children. He loves me. We use the language of heavenly father, maybe. Um, and that that's, that's something we're comfortable with. But I wonder how much um, we really understand it. I, I know when I read that we are co-heirs with Christ, I can't wrap my head around that. That means that everything that the Father wants to give the Son is ours. That everything that, that, that the Father before creation was sharing and exchanging with the Son that comes to us in Jesus, he wants to give to you. He's not just looking to like forgive your sin and bring you back up to zero, like get you out of debt. He's just not looking to kind of like squeak you into heaven one day. Everything that he wants to give Jesus, he wants to give to you. And we find out that we're God's child because he has put our spirit in our hearts. So the question is, what belongs to Jesus? Because whatever belongs to Jesus, he wants to give to us. And as we follow Jesus, we receive those things. Um, Paul also uses the language of being in Christ So everything that belongs to him comes to us. And so, um, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs within Christ, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. What's the first thing that's Jesus's? Suffering. Woo! Does that sell? Does that sell? I mean, like, we live in a world, oh my gosh, we're, we're the, like, the only thing we experience is selling most of the time. You know, like, trying to convince um, each other or trying to be convinced by someone else to buy whatever the thing is. And, like, the, the thing that's attached to all of it in some ways, this is just... This is just going to take away some bit of your pain, some bit of your suffering, some bit of your disorientation, or it's going to at least distract you and, and give you a bit, of a bit of a high for a minute. I mean, that's like, our, that's like humanity's whole thing. I mean, definitely, it's like Western civilization, you know, and, and our current society. And here he says, everything that is Jesus's is yours, and the first thing that's his is suffering. And so if we are going to follow Jesus, we have to take him seriously around his commands, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. I'm always a little amazed sometimes when I run into a Christian that seems confused that Jesus would call us to deny ourselves. That's like the whole thing. It's the whole thing. So, so when, we have a des- when we have a desire and something in our hearts that calls us to live a certain way and we have to lay it down to follow Jesus, That's like the first step on receiving what is his. You know, and um, it continues. Like, we could imagine that uh, that this is just talking about the suffering that is like for the martyrs. You know, for the people that that receive difficulty and suffering in life because they did something really glorious and godly. And I think that's true. But Paul goes into this next section and he connects our Um, our situation with the rest of creation. 
Like, for example, in verse 19. We'll come back to 18 in a minute. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And he goes on to talk about how creation groans and hurts. That Paul isn't just connecting our suffering to when something bad happens to us because we decided to do something good. He's connecting our, the suffering that we experience to the fact that the whole of creation is broken. That everything in creation is longing for things to get better. That even as I, I, I don't know how this all plays out in, in my head, but my, my dog who used to be like the terror of the, every squirrel in Missouri, I mean, he, he, he was murdering squirrels like it was his job when he was a kid, you know? And now that he's a little older and we take him to the dog park and like three laps around and he's like, I gotta go home, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Like, creation's broken and falls apart. You know, me too. You know, I'm like screaming towards my AARP membership, right? <laughs> and, and we all experience pain. But here's the thing, how do we, how is it connected to Jesus? We have a God who when he saw the brokenness of the world, he went towards it and not away from it. And we, we, tind, we tend to find every way that we can to get away from it. But our crucified Savior stepped into a world that was broken and experienced at every moment of his life, all the way to when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That the, that the relationship between the Father and the Son it's broken for the first time that God experiences abandonment by God. And in God's absence, we find something absurd and incredibly beautiful. That in God's absence, God is most present with us. Because it's on the cross when God is present with us. And it's on, it's, in, it's on the cross that God is absent from God's own self. I don't even know what that means. It's absurd. But, I, but I'm drawn to it. Of like, God knows what it's like to be abandoned by God. And that makes him present to me. And to all of us when we feel abandoned and, and forgotten. Um, John Mark Comer, who's one of the, my favorite young pastor in the, I say young, He's my age, you know, so yeah, right. And like, not, um, tell that to my bald spot. Um, he has this beautiful quote. He says, in Jesus, we are not revealed a God we can always understand. But we are revealed a God that we can always trust. And our movement to try to understand God will probably always lead us to absurdity. It's, it's a valiant effort. We're going to wind up in contradictions that run around in circles. But when we look at Jesus on the cross, we can find a God we can always trust because he moves towards us. And he carries our pain with us. 
Paul, Paul continues, it's not just the dark night of the soul that is unavoidable in the Christian life. If we want to avoid going through a moment of feeling God's absence, then we're on the wrong train. You know, like find, find some pastor that wants to sell you a lot of books, right? Because they, they usually skip the, the suffering part. And, and here's the thing. If, if that's unavoidable, what, what's on the other side of that? Like where, where are we going? Now, if, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that, so this is going somewhere, this, is going, this isn't wasted, if we're going to participate in Christ's sufferings in order that, we may also share in his glory. What does the Father want to do with his glory? He wants to share it. He wants to share it with the Son, Jesus, and he wants to share it with you, and we receive the glory that Jesus receives at the resurrection when we are willing to go through suffering like Jesus. If suffering is inescapable, we might as well find a way to get on board with the in order that, like where are we going with this? And, and, and here in verse 18, Paul continues the thought, in case you were wondering, is that just like a, like a glance off the, off the thing? No, this is, this is where he's going. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul, <laughs> his sufferings were not light. He lost family members, people disowned him when he decided to follow Jesus. He lost his status. He ended up in prison. He ends up executed. He, this, isn't like, um, this isn't some throwaway line for him. He's just saying that even though the suffering that I experience is immense, I'm hanging on that the glory that is coming is better than what I'm going through. And it, you know, it's, it happens over and over again in Scripture. It's not just this one place. Like if I could, if I could go to First Peter, just to take two simple examples. Four, um, chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Or, or five, uh, 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also share in the glory to be revealed. Who will also share in the glory to be revealed. That Back in, um, in verse 18 in Romans, when he says, this, our sufferings won't compare to the glory that will be revealed. Um, there's, if I can go a little bit of Greek grammar nerd on you. Um, the verb there is in what's called the aorist tense, the will be revealed, which is a little different than our past, present, future way that we break down language. Um, they have past, present, future, but they also have this other thing called an aorist. And I, I was reading um, someone describing it as, um, as it's the ability to get outside of the current reality and see things that already exist that we aren't experiencing. Like, like a small child that's at a parade. And they're really waiting to see the horses. And they're at the end. We know why the horses are at the end? Yes. <laughs> to this little kid, those horses like don't even exist yet. Right? They don't even know if they're real. 
They don't know if they're there. They don't know if they're there. And in that moment, it's like her present reality does not contain those horses. But the aorist tense is like, they described it as like being in a helicopter above the parade where you can see the thing that already exists. It is a current reality. It just has not met your reality yet. It's not it will exist one day. It exists now. It's just waiting to intersect with the reality of this little girl waiting to see the pretty horses. And we're people stuck in immense suffering sometimes. And the glory that will be revealed is already existing. We are just in the space of waiting for that reality to intersect ours. And Paul speaks to the people in Rome and he says, hang on, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, hang on, hang on. And then he like blows the lid off the place when he says the glory that will be revealed in you. Double check my work on that. In you. When God's glory comes, it will not be some far-off reality that we look at. It will come in the people who have gone through suffering and trusted him in the middle of it. That is where God's glory will show up on planet Earth. It will come through the people who have been able to suffer like Jesus and receive glory from the Father because we are children of God, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. So the question is, how do we live in the middle of it? What do we do now? What do we do in the middle of it? Because all of that, all of that is like, that fires me up. Maybe you can tell I'm a little, I've got some emotion running. But what do we do now? Um, as, as Paul continues, like in, in verse uh, 22, we know that all of creation has been groaning is in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That like in the middle of all of this, we are waiting and groaning and we're connecting with the brokenness of creation and this is the part where I realized I skipped something really important, so I'm going to go backwards in my head. You know, preaching with notes has its advantages. I've heard. Verse 20. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Hang with me on this. He says that he's connecting our suffering with creations, right? And he says that creation is underneath God's authority. And that when it is underneath God's authority, it receives hope. It was subjected in hope that creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom that he's saying that when we are underneath God's authority, we receive hope and liberty. Now, creation doesn't get to choose. You know, the, the galaxies that are spinning out there and, 
and the world that we live in and the plants that grow and the stars in the night sky and all that, they don't get to choose that they're underneath God's authority. It says he subjected them. And in that being in their rightful place under God, they experience hope and therefore freedom. But we in humanity are given a choice. We're given the image of God. We're given autonomy. We're given the ability to choose. And the question is, do we think that freedom and hope is outside of God's authority, doing things our way, or is it putting ourselves back under God's authority and therefore receiving hope and freedom? And part of what he's calling people to do is let God be free to be God. And when we give up our freedom to be God ourselves in our own world, that's when we find hope and liberation. So in the middle of a world that is a mess, we have to find ways to trust that God is good and we can believe that he's good because we see him on the cross. Because he sees, we see what he's done for us and how he cares for us. You know, I know that the suffering that people carry can be so real. But when we can come before God and say, I want to I surrender this to you. I want to come back under your authority. Because when I look at the cross, I believe that you're good. And the things that I don't understand about you, I can surrender those. And in that place, I believe that we'll find hope and even freedom in, in the absurdity and the backwards working of the Christian faith. It's when we give up our freedom that we, that we find liberation. And in verse 24, he says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? Like the little girl that's waiting for the end of the parade. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That the Spirit of God enters into our hearts and helps us wait. Helps us wait even hurts with us as we experience a world that is deeply broken. Now, somebody could rightfully say, feels like I've been waiting a long time. Feels like I'm a little dry. Feels like life has been more unkind to me than to most. Um, I, I think you're probably right if you're feeling that. And my mind goes um, to somebody in scripture who was paving the way for Jesus. In the womb, when he got around Jesus, he, he leapt. And when he, when he saw Jesus, he pointed at him. He was the first person to say, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He sent, John the Baptist sent his own disciples to follow Jesus. I mean, he poured out his life for him, pointed to him his whole life. And then he ends up in prison. He ends up in jail for saying something that was true yet unpopular to the king. And I imagine that he was really struggling. And uh, so much so that it, at one point, he gets some of his people around him. He says, Will you go talk to Jesus about this? And in, in verse um, 20 of chapter 7 in Luke, it says, 
When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect somebody else? Like, am I even doing the right thing here? Are we following the right person? I have pointed at you my whole life. I have talked about you my whole life. I put my faith in you my whole life. And now I am in prison and I can hear the ax getting sharpened. So my anxiety is going up a little bit. And I'm not seeing you really come through for me right now. Are we supposed to wait for somebody else? At the very time, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed. Does that change John's situation at all? John doesn't get what he wants. He dies. His head literally ends up on a platter at a party. His suffering does not get eased. But Jesus tells his friends, will you go tell him that this is not in vain? that his hope isn't wasted, that the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. Maybe not where you want it and when you want it, but you can tell him where you have seen heaven break in. You have seen the sick healed. You have seen the poor preached good news to. You have seen the blind receive sight. You have seen heaven break in. And when we're stuck and our suffering is real and we can't see a way out of it, I would say, can you see the resurrection somewhere? Can you find somewhere where the resurrection is breaking in, where the glory of God is coming close? And even though your suffering is real, can you get close? Can you see the resurrection somewhere? Can you find somebody and somewhere where the resurrection, where the glory of God is breaking through? And even though your world is the same, you can get some hope, draw some hope, draw some strength from where it's happening around you. And listen, John didn't receive that word directly from Jesus. He had to receive it from some people who could get close to Jesus for him. And you might need some people. This is why we do life together. This is why, hey, if if you're watching church online, I love that. You need to get back with some people. You need to take a step towards us and get with some people. If you are attending church and you are not in a group, you need to get in a group. You need to find some people that are walking with you. I don't know what that looks like. Something we do, organize as a church, not, that's okay. You need to get around some people that can point at where the resurrection is breaking through when you can't see it in your own life. Because that's when stuff starts to come back alive and we can hang on to hope and we can find freedom. And then we can be for a world out there messengers of a resurrection that's breaking through. Can you see the resurrection? Can you see it? Because even though this suffering is real, life is tragic, but God is faithful. And he is making a new world right here and now. And we see his glory break first, break through first in the resurrection, and then in all the ways that Jesus moves in our world. Paul wraps up this section in Romans 8 by having this like magnificent announcement where he says, 
What then shall I say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died, the suffering, more than that, who was raised to life, receiving glory, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long and are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is someone who knew suffering but because he saw Jesus and what he had done for him on the cross and the glory of the resurrection, he was hanging on with hope that one day God's glory would come, redeem his suffering, and that glory would break out all the more in the world for forever. The world could use some people that can see the resurrection and bring word of it to those in need. That's you. Let's pray. Lord, um, God, we want to get in on that. I wish I was as good at doing it as, as I am about getting excited talking about it. But the pain is, is real, and people carry immense burdens from our broken world and the hell we put each other through. But God, help us to pursue you in it, to surrender to you in it, so that we would find hope and freedom in order that we would experience your glory that already exists but is waiting to be revealed in us. And God, help us to be messengers of your kingdom breaking loose here and now to those that need it. It is in your name that we pray. Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.